taking care of us. And Lord, this morning, we want to worship you by giving back to you. We want to honor you, Lord, by giving back a part of what you've given to us. And so as we bring our tithes, Lord, as we bring our offerings, our prayers, take what is given here, Lord. Use it to change lives, Lord. Use it to transform families, God. Use it, Lord, to build a foundation in the lives of kids around the world, God. Take what we give, God. Bless it. And Lord, let it alter the destiny of future generations, Lord. We pray this together in your name. Amen. Well, good morning, church. How's everyone doing this morning? Good. It's good to see all of you here. And once again, if you're our guest, if you're new to NCC, or if you're watching this later this week online on the video or listening to the podcast, we want to extend a special welcome to you. And if I haven't met you yet, my name is Aaron, and I am the lead pastor here at New Community Church. And we're so glad that you're joining with us. And just as we mentioned during the announcement time, we're celebrating God, um, what God is doing through our church is we live out this vision of making people and places new. And that's our heart as a church, that God would use us each and every week here in our community and then even use our influence around the world to change people's lives and to make a difference. And that's the passion and the heartbeat of our church. And we talk about this, you know, if you walk in through the lobby there every week, you walk past our declarations as a church. And some of the things that drive us as a church, and one of those that are hanging on the wall simply says this, we change the world. And we don't think that just means something that we do here on a Sunday morning as we come into this room. That's something each and every one of us carries out with us every single week. That if you're a part of this church, part of what God has called you to do, part of what God is challenging you to do is to take your life to take what God is doing inside of you and to bring change to the places where he has put you into individuals and influences that you have inside of your life, that you would make a difference. And sometimes when you hear that statement, we change the world. And as we've talked about that over the past few years, that idea can seem so big. And you can maybe scratch your head and wonder, where do I even start with that? Like, how do you go about changing the world. And that's what I want to talk about this morning, a change that each and every one of us can have. And as I was thinking about this message and thinking about this weekend and what God is using our church to do, I just felt like God challenged me with the word that he wants to bring is, hey, it starts with one, just starts with one life, one individual and a change that we can make in the life of a child. And so I want us to look at this idea this morning of what God is calling us to do and what God wants to challenge us with this morning. You know, I've shared from time to time, but when I was in elementary school, we lived in a small, tiny town in Arkansas, okay? It was up in the Ozark Mountains, and um, we were kind of isolated, like it took us a while to get anywhere else, and so we didn't have a lot of TV channels. We didn't have satellite. We didn't have cable, okay? We only had what you could move the little bunny ears to get. How many of you guys remember that, okay? The antenna's up there, and you had to stand just right to try to get a channel in, and because of where we lived, it was sometimes difficult, 
But I remember whenever I was probably like 9, 10, 11 years old, right in that um, time frame, I saw a movie that still to this day I haven't forgotten. Okay, it wasn't a blockbuster hit. Okay, it wasn't on some top list of movies. It was like an ABC or some kind of TV special, you know, like after school movie special or something like that. But this movie just drew me in the storyline. And it started off, you, you were introduced to the main character. This guy was in his early 30s and he was helping out at like a youth outreach center. And he started to work there and he was teaching some of the kids sports. But he noticed this young boy, Tommy, who always stood over in the corner. And as he began to ask about him, he's like, hey, what's Tommy's story? Like, what's going on in his life? He discovered that this was a young boy, a young child that was in foster care. And over the next hour and a half that the movie kind of unfolds, he develops this relationship with this little child and he wants to adopt him. And there's different circumstances. There's a lot of things going on, but, but there's a lawyer who's speaking on behalf of this little child's um, behalf, and he doesn't think it's a good idea for this adoption to go through. And I remember the final scene, even you know, over 20, 30 years later now almost, I remember this final scene where he's standing in a courtroom, and he looks at the judge, and he looks at the, this lawyer, and he's pleading his case why he wants to adopt this little boy named Tommy and why he thinks he would be a good father. And he looks at the judge and he says, you know what? This is a big holiday weekend. I think it was Labor Day or something in the movies. And he said, you're going to go home and you're going to grill out. You're going to take your kids to the swimming pool. You're going to do something fun with them. You're going to take them out to the backyard and you're going to play catch and you're going to have a good time with them. And then kind of in this closing statement, he says, why doesn't Tommy have those same rights? Why doesn't he, as a child, get the same thing that so many other children in our nation enjoy? And that's a family. That's someone to love him. That's someone to care for him. And that's what I want to do. And then even as an 11-year-old, the tears start flowing down my face. And I'm like, yes. And the movie ends with this kind of heartfelt moment. But I knew even as a little kid, like there was something that just spoke to me kind of in that closing argument, like, why doesn't he have that same right? Why isn't he afforded that same ability that so many other kids have to be in a home that loves him, to be in a home that cares for him, to be around parents that want to take care of him and want to help him grow up and want to help him succeed in his education? But the truth is that there are so many kids around the world that don't have that privilege, that don't have that privilege that many of us grew up with, that don't have that loving family unit around them. And when you start to just find out about this, when you start to explore this, the numbers are astounding. That 140 million kids around the world, they're orphans. And that means that they don't have a mom or dad that loves them and that can take care of them. They don't have other family members that are bringing them into their home. Many of them are out on their own. And I could tell you story after story of being in Southeast Asia, of being in South America, of being in different parts of the world, of seeing these kids literally living in garbage heaps, trying to get food, trying to survive, being in situations that most adults couldn't handle. And this is how they're living out their childhood. You look, it's not only a problem internationally, but right here in our own United States where there are over 400,000 kids in foster care. These are 400,000 kids that have been taken away from their family unit. And because of situations that are going on, they're displaced from that home life that they've known and that they've grown up in. Right here in the state of Texas, there are over 30,000 kids that are in foster care. 
Many of them are waiting for someone to open up their home and to take care of them. And I started to just think about that again, that these kids, they have that same right that our kids have or that your grandkids or that your nieces and nephews have to have someone that loves them and that will take care of them. And this is something that's close to the heart of God because there are over 35 times in scripture where God challenges his people, hey, look after the fatherless. All throughout scripture, when he's challenging them, hey, I want you to take care of the orphan and the widow in their time of distress. I want you to look at after and not take advantage of the fatherless, but protect him. God repeatedly in his word says time and time again, this is what I'm calling my church to. This is what I'm calling my people to do. This is something that's close to my heart. And it's not just something that God got really passionate about in one book of the Bible. You look from the start all the way back at the beginning to the very end, the last books of the Bible, and God continues to repeat this theme over and over again. I'm calling my people to look after those that have been displaced from their home, that are those without a family unit, the fatherless. I'm calling your heart to mirror my heart and to take care of them and to protect them. And so we want to look at this this morning. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to open to a few scripture passages and we're going to start in the book of James and we're going to be in James chapter one, verse 27. And so if you didn't bring a Bible, that's okay. We've got you covered. There's a blue Bible in the seat in front of you and you can turn to page 586 in that Bible and follow along or take out your smartphone, just Google James 127 and you'll get there right with us. And once you have that, go ahead and hold on to that for just a moment. And in case you've never read the book of James and you're unfamiliar with this, let me give you a quick snapshot of this letter. This book was one of the first books that were written um, after the time of Christ in what's known as the New Testament. This is the first thing that God wants to say to his church. So when he's writing this letter, before he tells them about the life of Jesus and everything that Jesus taught, this was one of the first letters that the Holy Spirit inspired to be part of the Bible that was written. It was written by the brother of Jesus named James, and he's a pastor in the city of Jerusalem. He pastors the church kind of like this, and he's sharing with the people what it is that he feels like God wants to say to them just 15 years after the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And so this is where we pick this up in James chapter one. This is the last part of this first chapter. And this is how he closes it out in verse 27. He says, religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. What is true religion? He says it's to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. And I'm thinking about this. Out of the first saying that God could write, out of all the instructions he could give to his churches, he's putting it in this letter out of James as he compiles this list and he says, hey, if you want to know how do you live in right relationship with God, how do you live in right relationship with others, if you want to know what true religion is, what, what it boils down to, James gives us two things that he points out in this verse right here. And he says, it's this, to visit the orphan and the widow in their affliction and to keep yourself undefiled by the world. And I want us to look at that first commandment that he gives us. And I started thinking about that. God, what does that mean? If you're looking at your church, God, you're looking at us. You wrote this thousands of years ago, but this still applies to our life. What does that mean for us as the church? How do we live that out? What do, what do you mean when you say visit the orphan and the widow 
in their time of affliction? How do we care for the fatherless? And so I started to look, what did you mean by visit? Well, there's a couple of ways that word is used. One is that you see something. Okay, so like you visit a place, kind of that analogy, that thought process. You see something, and I don't think that's what God was talking about. Hey, just see, kind of know about the need, but it's out there somewhere. And so there's another way that that word was used, visit, and that meant to look after. It meant that you were physically present there, that you cared for and that you had compassion for the needs of those. And I think that's what God is talking about here in the book of James. He's saying, hey, I'm calling my people to look after, not just to know about, not just to have some knowledge, but to actually have compassion and to have care for those that are fatherless, for those that are orphans, that you would do something, that you would be moved to compassion and look after those that are going through affliction that do not have that family unit around them. And that's what James challenges the early church with, that we would be those kinds of people that we would engage on that level. Now, I know there are a lot of different stories, a lot of different backgrounds, a lot of different situations in this room, but this is what God is challenging us with. And so as we hear that and we start to think about orphan care and foster care, you may immediately have walls go up that says, well, this message isn't for me, right? Came on the wrong Sunday or, hey, I don't, I don't think this really applies to me, but I promise this is something that was written to the entire church. And so I want us to look at how do we do this? What is God calling our church to? What does this mean for us as individuals that have a desire and a passion to make people and places new right where God has put us? How do we live this out? And so I know with foster care, there may be a lot of different ideas. There may be bad stories that you've heard from different people or things that you've seen on television. And so I wanted to invite someone that works with foster care that can help speak into this. And so if you would help welcome Jessica to the stage. Thank you. And Jessica, I know um, a lot about you. I've known you for a number of years, but everyone here may not know your story. So maybe take a moment, just introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about what's going on in your life right now. So my name is Jessica. I am studying counseling at Southwestern Assemblies of God University. I'm getting my master's. Um, so I see clients during the week. Um, and then during the day, I work at the Texas Baptist Home for Children, which is a foster care agency in Waxahachie. Okay. So... They are working with foster care kids at the Texas Baptist Home. Is that something like you always wanted to do? Is that kind of just a door that opened as you're studying counseling? Or how did you get that job and kind of how did God lead you there? I'd say it's a little bit of both. Uh, trauma, foster care, things like that are something that I've always been passionate about. And I would love to be a trauma therapist one day. And so I just found this job online at a time in my life when I was looking for a job that was in the field that I wanted. And it was just kind of a combination of my heart and the right door opening at the right time. Yeah. So with foster care kids, like what they're going through, whenever they first come to you, what's kind of their situation? What's going on in their life? What are the situations that brings them there to that home there? So all the kids that come into foster care, it's been proven that their homes are unsafe and unsuitable for them at that time. So we see kids coming in from all across the state of Texas and Really, their stories are also different, but it could be drug use, it could be domestic violence, it could be situations where the children or their siblings are being abused, um, just all situations like that where it's not physically, emotionally safe or stable for them. Yep. And 
you know, obvious, obviously their physical needs are probably pretty apparent. Like, you know, I know that, that some foster care kids, they come with just what they have on, you know, if it's their first time coming into the system. But what are some of those emotional needs? Like what's going on in their heart? You know, what's taking place? Like mentally, you're a counselor. So, so what are they going through as they first come into those situations? When kids first enter care, we just see a variety of reactions, and I, I think it kind of depends on what situation they're coming from and how old they are. With older kids, I'd say like 12 and up, we see a lot of resistance. They might be not uncooperative, but they not, may not be opening up as quickly as foster parents would expect, yep. um, just because they've been removed from what they've known their whole life, and maybe they've never had rules, and now there's very first night, someone's laying out all these rules, and they're like, wait, this isn't my life. Yeah. Um, <laughs> little kids tend to, um, they might be more reserved, but you give them a snack, you give them toys, and for the first few weeks, they're doing great. And then it starts to sit in that, okay, they're not returning home as soon as they thought. It's not just a sleepover. Yeah. Um, and so then you see, you know, I think on both sides, it's fear. There's not a lot of unknown, mm -hmm. um, but that's kind of what's going on for these kids in foster care. Yeah. Um, and then a lot of people, you know, they may have this idea of foster care and think, hey, the state they take care of everything, right? Like this is what the government does and we pay taxes so they can take care of foster care kids. But, but what part is it that the state does? And then what do you see like foster care families? What, what are the needs that they take care of? How do those two entities partner together? So the state does do a lot for foster children. Uh, before kids are even removed from their homes, uh, people tend to have the idea of CPS. That's all that they do is like remove kids, take them from their parents. But CPS actually does a lot of family-based services and trying to help families stay together before the kids ever need to be removed. Um, but when the child is removed, uh, they're working with the bio parents to um, let them be reunited with their children. That's always the goal when foster kids enter care is that they would be able to return home to their biological families. Um, and sometimes that's not the case. Um, so the state covers like medical and dental, psychological services for the kids. Um, foster parents get reimbursement. So the state does take care of a lot of their physical needs, but that's all facilitated through the foster families. Okay. And then I know you kind of just touched on it, but what's the vision, kind of what's the goal as kids come into foster care? Is it immediate placement for adoption or what's happening there and how do foster care families kind of help facilitate that part of it? Yep. Again, it looks so different for everyone that's coming into foster care. Um, I think that a lot of the kids are in need of people who are going to instill a sense um, of identity and worth in them. And so whether they're coming in with the goal of being adoption or just to be reunified with their families, a lot of times they're just needing foster parents who are willing to be with them yeah. through this really difficult time in their lives, no matter what age they are, what behaviors they're having. Um, I used the example last service of what if somebody took every bad thing or every emotional reaction that you ever had and put it on a piece of paper. And that's what we see with foster children a lot of times. Um, we just yeah. need homes that are understanding of the trauma that they've experienced and the needs that they have and someone who's willing to invest into their identities and, and showing them that life has value. Yeah. Yeah. I love that so much. And so can we give Jessica a hand? Thank you so much for coming and sharing. And She's going to be in the back after service to talk a little bit more about this. But you guys, that just struck me. And, and we've done foster care. You know, I've shared my story. And so if you've been here, you may have heard part of that. But when she said that, what if someone took every emotional reaction, every wrong thing that you've done, and they wrote that down and it followed you everywhere that you went? And that's what most of these kids are experiencing is they're given, you know, some parents are given a binder if they're in some group home setting, you know, someone's reading all of these things that they've done wrong. 
And, and what God is challenging us with is that we would have a heart of compassion. We would be full of grace, just like God is towards us and, and forgiving and compassionate and patient to help these kids that have gone through such difficult circumstances. This is what God's word is challenging. When he's saying visit, when he's saying look after to take care of, that's what he means. Not just that we're knowledgeable about the need, but that we're willing to do something that our hearts would be moved to compassion. And once again, when we think about orphans, when we think about that kind of word, sometimes we're thinking about some kid in a developing country. But as I mentioned, this is a reality right here in our own nation. This is something that's present right here in the United States. And God's word talks about this in the Psalms. If you still have your Bibles open, Psalms chapter 68, verses five and six, God once again touches on this issue of of this family unit that he wants us to be in. This is what Psalm 68, five and six says. God is a father to the fatherless and the defender of widows is God in his holy dwelling. The psalmist goes on to say this. He sets the solitary in homes. I love that last line. He sets the solitary in homes. And in case that word seems distant to you, like solitary, what exactly does that? It means that he takes those that are alone he takes those that are lonely and he finds them a family, he finds them a home and he places them there. That's the heartbeat of God. That's what the psalmist is writing about. That's God's desire is that children and teenager, maybe that have been displaced or removed from their home, that they would find a forever home, that they would find a permanent home where someone would love them and care for them. This is the heartbeat of God. This is what the psalmist is writing about. And church, I believe that every child every teenager, that they have that right, they deserve that, to be in a family unit that loves them and that cares for them. And that's God's desire, to put them in a home and that families would surround young children and love them just like this. Hey, everyone. I am Micah Rice. This is my wife, Olivia. Hello. Hey. And so we're going to share with you just a little bit of our story and how we were able to adopt our son. Um, so when Olivia and I first started dating, literally a week into this, I drop a bomb on her and I say, hey, you need to know I've always wanted to adopt. And I figure, you know, better now than waiting till later. I don't know if that's something she'd be up for. So I figured it'd be a conversation. I grew up in a community where we had so many kids who had so much potential, so intelligent, but their circumstances at home or lack of a home dictated a different path for their life. And so at 16 years old, it was really put on my heart that at some point in time, I would adopt uh, one of our children. And so I share this with her. Yeah, at the time, I hadn't really put much thought in, or consideration into it, but it's almost like as soon as he said that, it planted that passion in, our, in my heart to adopt. Um, within the next year, we got married, moved to Texas. We've been married nine years in May. 
Um, and throughout the early years of our marriage, knowing that one day we would have a family, we always knew that adoption would be a part of our story. We didn't know how it would come into play or when it would come into play, what doors God would open for us, um, but we knew it would be a part of our story. We decided to start our family once we kind of got through the first five years of our marriage. That was our plan. And so once we hit that mark, we decided let's, you know, start our family. And we got pregnant very quickly. We were really excited. It took us by surprise. And like very common with a lot of other families, uh, we lost that pregnancy very early on. Um, It was completely devastating. It was something we never expected to experience. Um, And but we just thought, you know what? We were, this was able to happen for us very quickly. We are confident this will happen for us again. And um, a year went by and nothing. Um, a second year went by, nothing. The third year uh, came and went. And um, at that point, it was that was pretty hard. These were some of our darkest days that we had ever had. Um, just really, really wanting to have a family. And after we hit that third appointment of coming back and the doctor saying, you know, you you guys have what we call unexplained infertility. We don't know why this isn't happening for you. Um, It was at that point we kind of sat down and thought, you know, we've been kind of waiting for this huge sign that it's time for us to adopt. We're waiting for this big green light for God to say, now is the time. And um, we kind of just said, you know what, maybe the only sign we need is that little inclination in our heart that was planted Six, you know, when Micah was 16 and at the early stages of our marriage, maybe that's all we needed. And at that point, we decided, um, all right, let's, 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 see what, let's see what doors God will open for us in adoption. Yeah, so our story is definitely a little different than a lot of people's. Um, but we went in really thinking um, that God was going to match us with a family. And there are so many other routes you can go. You can contact agencies. You know, they kind of do a lot of the legwork for you, but we genuinely felt like God was just going to match us with somebody and open that door. And so Olivia said, well, you know, what should we do? And I said, I don't, I don't know that God's going to match us with a family until families know that we want to be matched. And so very much uh, as everything goes in 2018, we posted on social media, <laughs> Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, that we wanted to adopt And our entire community came around us. Everybody was so supportive. So many people sitting in this very room even. Um, And and we began to pursue what was a really, really cool God thing. Yeah, so what we ended up doing is we posted on social media that we were just, this was where our heart was. And if anybody knew of an expectant mother, um, that they would just, if they felt led to share our story, to do so. So... Part of what we did after we posted on social media is we had, by the encouragement of a friend, say, hey, put together an email so that we can forward this on for you. And so that's what I did. And we, I, I don't really know a lot of people's email addresses, so it got sent to about 10 different people, one of which was somebody that I had worked with. Um, I'd worked with him for five years at a university in Waxahachie, but I'd actually gone to college with his wife in Washington State. So we both were from Washington, and we moved to Texas. Um, and the day we sent our email to them, they had received se- a separate piece of information. Uh, they received a phone call um, letting them know that somebody that was related to them uh, had just found out that she was pregnant with her sixth, her sixth child, seventh child, excuse me, her seventh child, and had actually, had, had, um, she was in California, and when she found out that she was pregnant, um, she, she had immediately scheduled an abortion. 
and uh, had to drive an hour and a half, two hours away to San Francisco to get the abortion and was there. And she, right before, you know, she was getting ready to go in, she said, uh, can I please see a sonogram? And she was expecting to maybe be four weeks along. And um, they came back with a, a baby that was 20 weeks along. The sonogram that we received was the, uh, the sonogram that we still um, have of our son that is a perfectly formed baby. Yeah, so think about that for a second. This woman has six other children, and she is four and a half months pregnant and has no clue. Like God hid that child from her for four and a half months because had she found out one month sooner, two months sooner, three months sooner, my son would not exist today. She went in full well knowing that she was about to have an abortion and just happened to ask for a picture. Yeah, and what was kind of crazy, too, was when we decided we wanted to adopt, uh, when we decided we were going to take the steps to pursue adoption, which was in October, um, we just started praying. We just started praying for protection over our child, wherever he or she may be. Um, we felt very strongly that they... Uh, that he was already conceived. So we were just praying for that protection. We didn't have any control over what was going into um, you know, his body and things like that. And it got to a point after several weeks where I felt very strongly to, to pray specifically for a mom. Uh, I said, I feel like our son, our, our child, who it's a, it's a boy, <laughs> our son was conceived and um, that the mom is considering abortion. I felt very strongly to pray specifically for, that she would just feel hope. You know, I, I can't imagine, um, I can't imagine what would bring a woman to a point that low where she felt like that was her only option. And I, I just prayed specifically that she would feel hope and that she would hear our story and know that there are other options. And um, when we found out about her, it was one of the first things I asked was when was that abortion appointment? And it lined up perfectly with when we started praying for, for her in that way. Um, and so we got connected with her the very next day after we um, got received this email back, and we were looking at a picture of our son. We she sent us the sonogram, and um, yeah, it, it's pretty normal to wait one, two, three years to be matched for an adoption. And literally, we found out within seven days about our son. Oh, I forgot that part. Yeah. Yeah, seven days. That's crazy. Okay, so um, I mean, seven days. We sent an email. The same day we sent the email. That's when. Uh, Jared and Julie, our friends who received the email, find out that their cousin was pregnant with her seventh kid, and they contact us the next week. Yeah, and I, I just, I think more than anything through um, our story and through our journey has been, it hasn't always been easy. And like I said, when I say we went through some dark days, there are people in this room who know just how dark our days were. And following the, the months, the years following our miscarriage, um, I was in this auditorium when I heard um, a scripture uh, spoken in the middle of a worship song. Um, it's from Lamentations. It says, I will never forget this awful time as I grieve over my loss, yet I still dare to hope. When I remember this, the faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercy never cease. Great is his faithfulness. And um, I feel like that's what... That totally encompasses our story, just that we always dared to hope. We dared to hope that the crib that we set up the day we found out I was pregnant, we never took that crib down. We never took it down. As hard as it was to walk by that room and see it there, we believed that God would fill it. And um, we're an open book when it comes to our adoption. Um, we hope it inspires families to continue to dare to hope. Um, we hope it. We hope it brings. Um, 
a light to, to moms who, who were in the same situation that our birth mom was. And it took somebody very selfless, very brave, very strong uh, to, place, to place their child with us. Um, and we are so, so grateful. We're so grateful for our son. He's here. He's in the back making all the noise. Yeah, that's him. Seven months old. <laughs> um, but yeah, our, our, I feel like our story has been one of redemption and of hope. And regardless, um, you know, we believe in the faithful um, love of the Lord, not because we have our son, um, but because of all of the moments that he carried us through leading up to our son. We're not going to let them go yet, um, but we want to take a moment. We want to pray over them. We love Micah and Olivia, and they've been a key part of our church in, in the past, and um, where God's calling them now. It's so amazing just to see how your story's unfolding and just how you guys are living out this heart that God has to, to restore families and to build families. And so, church, I want to ask you if you would just stretch out your hands, and we want to pray blessing over this family um, and blessing over this couple. God, I thank you for Mike and Olivia, Lord. I thank you for their story, God. I thank you for their faith that hasn't always been easy, Lord. It's not always just been a smooth road, God, but you've been present, God, every step of the way, God. And Lord, you've ordained their steps, God, and you've grown their family, Lord, in a way that your hand and your fingerprints are all over, God. And so we thank you for MJ, God. We thank you for the blessing of this beautiful young baby boy, God. And we just pray for his future, God. We pray for your hand over him. God, we pray for your blessing and your favor over his life, God, and the joy that he is going to experience, Lord, as he grows up in this amazing household, God, with his amazing mom and dad, Lord. And so we just pray for your continued blessing over them as they walk out your love, God. We thank you for them, and we ask this in your name. Amen. Amen. We love you guys. So church, I just want to challenge you with this kind of closing thought. In the book of Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 58 and verse 12, and you can write that down and look at it later. God has been talking to his people this entire chapter of Isaiah 58 of what it means to truly live out their faith what he calls a true fast, to take care of those that are hungry, to clothe those that are naked, to provide for those that are in need, to take care of the fatherless. God challenges them with this. And then he ends kind of this section of, of this challenge. And he says this, if you'll do this, if you as my people, if you'll live out this faith, if you'll live out this walk with me in this way, he said, you are gonna be someone who builds up the foundation for future generations. He said, people are going to look at you and they're going to call you the restorer of streets with dwellings, the repairer of broken walls, walls that have been breached. You're going to be like a people who build up the family units around you. This is what God is calling you to do as the church. This is God's call to us as a church that we would live this out. And you may be here this morning and thinking, what exactly does this mean for me? Like maybe you already have kids of your own or maybe you're past the age of having kids. And so how do we take this challenge and how do we live it out in our lives? And I just wanna give you three practical ways that I think we can engage with this issue that is so close to God's heart. The first is this church, we're called to pray. We're called to pray. 
Prayer is such a powerful thing. And when you walked into this room, maybe you didn't know what we were going to be talking about. Maybe you had no idea of the need, but now you are aware of it. And since you are aware of it, you're responsible to pray for it, to begin to lift up your voice, to not be selfish, but to take part of your personal prayer time and say, God, I want to begin to cry out for those that are in need around the world and right here in our own state, God, right around us in our own community, God. There are people, there are young children, there are teenagers that have been displaced from their home, from their family units, and God, I'm just asking you to move. You can do that. Doesn't matter how old you are, doesn't matter how young you are, you don't have to go through any specialized training, you don't have to take any classes. All of us can engage with this issue simply by saying, God, we want you to move. Lord, we see the need and we wanna pray for those kids because God, you said you're that father to the fatherless, Lord, that you place the lonely in homes. God, you place the solitary in homes. And so we just wanna ask you to do that, God. Simple thing, all of us can start by praying. The second way that you can engage is simply by doing that, by finding ways to engage with foster care. This doesn't mean that you have to open up your home. Maybe you're not at that place where you can do that, but all of us, you, you can find different ways to do that, and that's volunteering. We have a table in the back with information about CASA, which is a court advocate, and it simply means you're a voice to a foster care child to a teenager who's been taken away from their parents and you're able to speak on their behalf. And so it's not necessarily, well, I need to open up my home, but some of you, maybe that's how God's calling you to engage. There's, there's other ways without just simply opening up your home that you can say, hey, I can come alongside of these kids. I can come alongside of teenagers. I can help mentor them and encourage them during this extremely difficult time in their life. The third way is this, it's by opening up your home. Some of you may hate me for this, but I was praying for you before you came into this service because I'm believing this, that if this is something that is near to the heart of God, that he's gonna call people in our church to step up and to do this. Many of you know our story. We've, we've done that. God's opened up that door for us. And there are others of you, I believe in this church, that God may use this message. Maybe you've been wrestling with this idea. Maybe you've been thinking about it. And the stories that you've heard this morning, God is using that to speak into your life saying, hey, this is something I'm calling you to, something I'm calling your family to begin to explore. This is something that some of you that are maybe just newly married, God wants to do in your future. And so we have an amazing partnering organization that's here with us, Texas Baptist Home. Jessica's gonna be back there. Emily's back there. And they just wanna answer questions. This is not you signing up and a kid's going to be at your house tomorrow. There's a process, there's training, there's all of that. But we want you to start the conversation. If this is something God is speaking to you about, if this is something that's on your heart, why? Because we believe it's on God's heart. We believe this is something God is passionate about and he's concerned about. And as his people, we want to respond. We want to do something. We want to move in that direction and reflect the heart of God. And so, so church, I want to challenge you, whether it's taking that first step, whether it's praying, whether it's finding a way to volunteer, or whether it's opening up your home, I believe God has a desire that we would be a church that would minister to the fatherless, that would come around those that don't have a family unit, and we would love them and we would support them. We would be a builder of foundations for the next generation because of our love and our compassion.